Let's bow in prayer. Lord, that is our heart's cry this morning. Whatever we don't have means nothing if we don't have Christ. But if we have Jesus, we have all that we need. We have abundant life here and eternal life to come. So Lord, give us Jesus this morning. Through the study of your word, show us Christ. And may every heart be turned to him today, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, the new sermon series that we, are, that we actually began last week, coming out of the Gospels, especially focusing on the Gospel of Mark, Simply Jesus. And that's why that song is a great theme song for the entire service, or the entire series. Simply give me Jesus. Let me encourage you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We began last week with a quick study of the opening 20 verses of the chapter, and it was rather fast, but we were introduced to Jesus, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, every witness that came forward says, yes, this is the one. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. And you have the testimony of Isaiah, and the testimony of John the Baptist, and the testimony of the Holy Spirit, and the testimony of God the Father. The testimonies are overwhelming. He's identified as the one. And he came preaching. His message was clear, repent and believe the gospel. And then he gave out a great invitation. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, the Bible tells us that he became immensely popular. Verse 28 of chapter 1 Immediately his fame spread throughout the land. Immediately people wanted to come and to hear him. News about him spread quickly. And it's because of his amazing teaching and his amazing mercy, his power. For instance, when we look at verse 21, he went to the little village of Capernaum. And there he taught in the synagogue. And the Bible tells us that they were astonished at his authority, verse 22, because he taught not like the scribes and Pharisees. And then they were astonished by his authority over demons, because there was one who was demon-possessed, and he healed him. Verse 27, they said, what new teaching is this? He even commands evil spirits, and they obey him. Where does he get this authority? His authority over disease is seen clearly in chapter 1, verse 29. He went to the house of Simon Peter. His mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed her. And then we read in verse 32, in the evening, while the sun was setting, the whole town came to see Jesus. They brought him all who were sick and all who were demon-possessed. Verse 33, the whole city gathered at his door. I mean, you could not be any more popular than Jesus was at this moment in time. So we're not surprised when we read in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Jesus tried to get a little time away and 
he was praying. But the disciples searched for him and said, everyone is looking for you. And that's why when we come to verse 40, this is an amazing story where the popularity of Jesus and his fame reached a remote place, a leper colony. And those with a hideous disease of leprosy wanted to find Jesus as well. Look at verse 40 of chapter 1. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, filled with compassion, and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Mark just gives a few verses to this amazing miracle, but we want to spend a little time with it today because this miracle is so indicative of what not only God can do to the physical healing of an individual, but what God can do to the spiritual restoration of a soul. Because leprosy is symbolic with the horrors of sin. Think of leprosy for a moment, now called Hansen's disease by the one who basically diagnosed its cause. Leprosy was a disease that always would lead to death. If you were a leper, it was a death sentence. There was no known cure. Worse than Ebola, when you contracted this disease, everyone wrote you off. And every example in the past was that people surely would die. Not only that, but leprosy has hideous effects on the person who has the disease. It's not just that you're going to die, it's that the process is so horrible. We read in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 12 that Miriam, when she disobeyed the commands of Moses and walked away from God, was suddenly covered with leprosy as white as snow, and the scripture says it was like half her flesh had been eaten away. That's what happens to a leper. It's the disease that hits the flesh, but it's not just the flesh. It's, it's a blood disease that goes through, goes through the whole body and kills the nerves so that a person has no feeling, and then when they stick their hand in the fire, it doesn't burn. It burns, but they don't feel it. When injury comes to the foot, the foot is injured, but they don't feel it. One doctor said this, describing the disease, the hair falls from the head and the eyebrows, the new nails loosen, decay and drop off, joint after joint of the fingers and toes began to shrink up and slowly fall away, the gums are absorbed, the teeth disappear, the nose and eyes and tongue are consumed. I was going to put a picture up here on the screen of the disease of leprosy and I went and looked at the pictures online and got sick, so I didn't give you one because I thought that that would make you sick as well. Hideous. Another person put it this way, it attacks not only the flesh but the blood and the bones until the unhappy patient begins to lose his extremities and rot away by inches. And leprosy separates from a victim from its friends. 
This adds more insult to injury. Not only are you going to die, not only is your body wasting away, but everyone you love has been separated from you. Rabbinical teaching added all kinds of absurd regula regulations to those who had leprosy. For instance, they had to wear clothes that were torn. They had to keep their hair unkept. They had to cover the lower part of their face. And when they would come near to people who were healthy, they had to yell, I'm unclean! I'm unclean! Can you imagine living like that? You were forced to move away from anyone that was healthy and either live alone or in a colony with those who had the same horrible disease. It was illegal for a healthy person to touch a leper, and if you did, you were instantly defiled and unclean yourself. If a leper stuck his head into your home, your home became unclean. They had to stay 150 feet away from someone if they were upwind and if they were downwind, only six feet away. Ridiculous regulations that only brought more torment to the soul. And Josephus said every leper was treated as though they were already dead. But what leprosy does to the body, sin does to the soul. That's why it becomes the perfect picture for sin. Sin leads to death. It's uncurable as far as man is concerned. It has hideous effects on the one who is inflicted with this dreaded spiritual disease. And it separates you from those who you love and separates you from the love of Almighty God. And those who feel the weight of their sin sometimes sense that they can never, ever be healed and there is no hope to be found. But remember this, as you read through the Gospels, the miracles of Christ, of, uh, the miracles of Christ are teaching parables. His miracles are designed to demonstrate what he can do for you. They're instructive. And so when Jesus healed the blind man, he was saying that he brings illumination to darkness. When he multiplied the loaves, he was declaring that he was the bread of life. When Jesus raised the dead, he talked about the fact that he had the power to give life that never ends. And when he heals a leper, it's demonstrative of the fact that Jesus can take away your worst problem called sin. Only two healings recorded in the Bible this uh, of a leper. This one in, in Mark chapter 1, which is also repeated in Matthew 8 and also repeated in Luke 5. And then, of course, in Luke 17, remember the ten lepers who were healed? And only one returned to show thanks. It's interesting, when Luke describes the same situation, and Luke was a, a physician, he was a medical doctor, he described this patient as one who was covered with leprosy, which means the disease was in its advanced stages. And this man was close to death. I suppose if you had leprosy, you would have just two questions. Number one, can I be cured? And number two, where do I find the cure? And it was those questions upon his heart, those burning questions deep in his soul when he got wind of the fact that Jesus was healing people. Now, up to this point, there was no record of a leper ever being healed. This was going to be the first one. 
And he would have to go against convention. And he, he would have to break ceremonial law. And he would have to push himself in the midst of healthy people to try to find the Savior. But nothing could hold him back. I think this portion of scripture is so instructive about how we need to come to Christ and when we do come to Christ, how he responds to us. So notice, first of all, how he came. Notice his approach. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. First of all, I find it important to note that he came when others did not. There were others who stayed back in the leper colony. They weren't, they weren't moved to, to make the journey. Maybe they felt that the law restricted them to come so they wouldn't come. Maybe they were embarrassed by the way they looked. But this man overcame every obstacle. Such was his desperation that he had to find Jesus Christ. He knew his condition, and so he came. Luke tells us in chapter 5, the city was crowded where this leper finally came in contact with Jesus. It was right after the Sermon on the Mount, and hundreds of people were following him, so he had to brave the crowd to get there. But he came. There's some haunting words in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 40, where Jesus says, You will not come to me that you might have eternal life. And there's the real problem. We will not to come. We refuse to humble ourselves and come to the Savior because we don't realize how desperate our situation is. But he came when others did not. Notice, secondly, he came to the right person. Four times in this one verse, Jesus is referred to. He came to him and he begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He came to the right person for help. We have no idea if he had gone to other doctors before, probably did. No one could help him, but he came to Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, he calls him Lord. His faith was fixed on Jesus alone. And that's what we hope to emphasize as we study the gospel of Mark, that there is salvation in no other name under heaven. There is hope found in no other quarter except found in the presence of Jesus Christ. So many people are offering religious answers to man's complex and spiritual problems, often without Jesus. And those who talk about Jesus, many of them talk about him merely as being a good teacher or, or a, a moral influencer, someone who's just good, and they don't talk about the fact that Jesus saves us from judgment to come. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is exclusively the territory of Jesus Christ. By the way, the stronger we preach that, the more insistent we are upon that, the greater distance you and I will feel from our modern society and the religions of today. The more persecution we will receive, the more attacks, because we seem to be so extreme 
But the Bible makes it abundantly clear. There's not anywhere else where you can go to find hope. If we could give you a menu, a series of choices, choose any one and you'll have the same result, we'd do that. But there is only one person you can come to and his name is Jesus. I love the story of the missionary who was witnessing to uh, a Buddhist and they were comparing their leaders. And it was an interesting comparison. The Buddhist said, you know, Buddhists had an unusual birth, and the Christian said, so did Jesus. He was born of a virgin. A Buddha lived an amazing life. So did Jesus. He never sinned. Buddha had wonderful teachings. So did Jesus. His teaching is the word of life, and his words bring hope. Buddha died an amazing death on behalf of others. So did Jesus. He died on a cross, not for his own sin, for the, but for the sins of others. And then there was a long, awkward pause, and the Christian said, what else? The Buddha says, that's it. He died. The Christian said, here is a great difference. Jesus came out of the tomb alive. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in him will live forever and ever. Religion may be the opium of the masses and give you some degree of peace and false hope, but when you die, it's done. When you know Christ, you live forever. Not only did he come to the right person, but he came in the right way with humility. Notice verse 4. He came begging Jesus. Luke adds the expression, he fell on his face. He knelt down bowing before the Savior. There was this amazing sense of humility. And unless you feel the weight of your sin and the wickedness of your soul, you'll never come to Christ. It was only a couple years ago that a husband and wife came to this church as visitors for the very first time. The husband had been coming and and liked what he experienced and wanted to invite his wife to come, and so she came. And the sermon that morning apparently emphasized the fact that she was a sinner, and she went home and said, I'm never going back to that place because I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Have you ever watched Downton Abbey? And the difference between those who live upstairs and those who live downstairs? The people who own the house living upstairs, the elite, and the people who work in the house live downstairs. And it is amazing to me the attitudes they have. That is, the upstairs people. I mean, how they view themselves as so much better than everyone else. Here's a quote from a lady back in that same time period of Downton Abbey, maybe a little bit before. When she heard the gospel, another friend of hers, who was also among the elite, took her to hear the gospel, and she responded by saying, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl across the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with your high rank and your good breeding. And yet, many of us feel the same way. I'm not so bad Compare, compared to the mass murderers. I'm okay. 
compared to the worst of the world. And somehow you began to build yourself up thinking that you have no need of a Savior. And this is why people do not come. They will not humble themselves before the Lord and acknowledge their sin. Until you are empty, you will not come to Christ to be filled. Until you realize you are lost, you will not come to Christ to be found. Until you realize that your sin brings judgment upon your soul, you'll not come to Jesus for deliverance. You won't come until you see your sin. And that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll see God. And when they acknowledge their sin, they'll find forgiveness. Humility. And then he came not only with humility, but he came with faith. Look at verse 40. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He only questioned the willingness of Christ. He did not know him. He did not know if he was a member of the elite, only saving some. He had not healed any leper up to this point. And so he asked the question, I'm not sure if you're willing or not, but I, I know if you're willing, you're able. If you want to, you can. Now that is amazing faith. Sin controls people and fosters two different lies in their soul. Lie number one, I'm not so bad. Lie number two, I'm so bad no one can help. And some of your friends feel that way. Either they're not so bad, or many of them feel they're so bad, there's no help. There's no hope. But this man, no matter how bad his condition was, in its advanced stages, still came to Christ and said, if you want to, you can. You can heal. That, my friend, is a tremendous demonstration of faith. And by the way, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must first of all believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that he will give mercy to those who diligently seek him, that he will forgive those who confess their sins. No matter how bad you are, Jesus can heal your situation today, forgiving every sin and making you whole. Faith is forsaking all others and trusting only in Christ. Where did this faith come from? Well, look at verse 39. Jesus went about the whole region preaching the word and healing the hurting, the sick and the demon-possessed. In Matthew's gospel, this healing comes right after the Sermon on the Mount. It's when the word of God goes forth that offers up hope. And when someone puts their faith in trust in God's word, God acts, God moves, and Jesus saves. So it's, it's very instructive to see how this guy came to Jesus. And this is exactly how you and I need to come today. But now notice the response of Christ. How does Jesus respond? What is his reaction? Verse 41, filled with compassion. He is moved deeply at your plight. The leper was filled with a disease. Jesus is filled with mercy. Mercy and grace and compassion. 
Some people get the wrong idea about God. They think that God is a cosmic killjoy. That he, in a very, in a very sparing way, hands out his blessings. That somehow you've got to cajole him. Somehow, somehow you've got to pester him. Somehow you've got to overcome his reluctance to get his salvation. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. He longs to save you. He invites you to come. He waits for you to come. But he delights to save you. He is filled with compassion and great mercy. The Bible tells us that our misery causes us to be objects of his great mercy. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. You say you're not lost? He didn't come for you. He didn't come to save those who think they are righteous. He came to, he came to save those who know that they are unrighteous and in great need. And he has compassion for them. He's the God of all compassion. He extends compassion to us so we can extend compassion to others. When Moses headed, hid in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and showed him all his glory, it says that he is a God full of loving kindness and compassion. Not just in the New Testament, Jesus, in the Old Testament, Jehovah. And God is merciful and compassionate toward you. Not only that, the scripture says he is willing. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I'm willing. I've always wondered the tonation of that response. You know, I, I, sometimes when people use the voice of God, they try to sound it like, you know, make it sound like uh, something very deep and, and resonant, uh, sometimes sober, sometimes detached. But I think there was a smile on his face and tears in his eyes and excitement in his voice when he said, I'm willing, I'm eager. I'd be glad to bring healing to your soul. How willing Jesus is to save every soul that comes to him. Again, when you look at religion, often religion puts up obstacles. All of these hoops that you have to jump through, all of these deeds that you have to do, all of these laws you have to obey, all of this merit that you must accumulate. But Christianity says, no, there's nothing you can do except come to Christ and he is willing to save you just like you are. That's the mercy of God. Hear his word. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. That means you. The unclean person, this leper, broke through all the normities of the law to find Jesus, but Jesus broke through the law as well to touch him. You ever think about that? The moment Jesus touched him, Jesus became defiled. Now, Jesus has never sinned, but according to the law, he was now defiled. And he willingly overcame that so he could touch this man. By the way, this was the first kind touch this leper had felt in a long time. First touch from a healthy person. If he was married, he had not felt the loving touch of his wife 
for years. If he had children, he had not enjoyed their embrace. He had not friend, uh, enjoyed the kind touch of a friend. And now Jesus reaches forth and touches him. There's something beautiful about a loving touch. And that's exactly what Jesus do, does. Someone counted eight different touches in the Gospel of Mark. And it's usually when Jesus is healing someone or saving someone or raising someone from the dead. I wonder if you're lonely. I wonder if you have felt that your sin has separated not only you from God but from other people. Some people live such a lonely life of desperation and they look everywhere for someone to take them in. They look for family, they look for friends, they look for acceptance, and acceptance is found in a savior. I heard about a man who was so lonely he used to get his hair cut every week so someone would touch him with kindness. How sad is that? Jesus touches him, I am willing to be cleansed. To the onlooker, it was a shock. To the disciples, they were amazed. To the leper, he was ecstatic. But not only that, he's moved, he's willing, and he is able. For right after he touches him and says, be clean, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. You see, Jesus is not only willing to save, Jesus is able to save. And it's wonderful that those two things are joined together, his pity and his power. Imagine if Jesus wanted to save but couldn't, didn't have the power. Or worse yet, if he had the power to save but didn't want to. And yet in Jesus, both pity and power are combined. I remember hearing the story of a of a sailor who was out at a park one day. This was a beautiful park. I think they were having a picnic. And near the park, there was a river swollen because of the recent rain that they had had. Apparently, a little girl had fallen into that river. and She was crying for help, and others were crying. And this sailor, who was amazingly strong, who spent a lot of time swimming in water and and dealing with the difficulties and dangers of the sea, jumped into the river and swam after that girl and reached that girl and tried to swim to the shore, but the current was so strong and moving so swiftly that they both ended up dying. And the newspaper the next day had this headline. He was willing, but he was not able. Willing to save, but he couldn't. The amazing thing about Jesus Christ is that he is both willing and he is able. He's able, Hebrews 7, 25 says, he is able to save those to the uttermost who come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. And so the Bible tells us he was healed immediately. Not only that, he was healed completely. The miracle was sudden, and it was complete. The nubs on his feet, gone. The stubs on his fingers, gone. The face immediately began to grow back. Wouldn't that have been astounding? And Jesus said, now go to the priest, and according to the law, show 
uh, show them, offer the sacrifice, let them examine you so that the proof will be evident that the person once dying of the disease is now totally healed. And Jesus said, I don't want you to tell anybody. Isn't that interesting? Verse 44, see that you don't tell anyone this, but go show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. The reason why Jesus told him to be quiet was he knew that this would limit his freedom. Jesus knew this would restrict where he could go and what he could do. It's amazing. Jesus said, please be quiet. But he had to tell everybody what had happened to him. I can understand that. But what is so amazing is Jesus tells us not to be quiet, and we are. Jesus tells us to go tell people, and we don't. When you feel the weight of your sin, you must find a Savior. When you find Jesus, he will save you immediately and completely. And when he does, you cannot be silent. You've got to tell someone. You've got to proclaim and confess. And that's what the leper does. Imagine how radically changed this guy was. In the morning, he was dying without hope. He got an idea that he could go to Jesus Christ and talk to him, full of sores and rotting flesh. But by the evening, his skin was as pure as pure could be. He was alive. He had hope. And who made the difference? Simply Jesus. It's not religion. It's not a creed you embrace. It's a living person who loves your soul and wants to save you to the uttermost if you come in humility and faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise in your word that Jesus heals and saves. That what he can do for the physical body, he can do for the spiritual soul. He simply longs to see us come and longs to see us cry out in desperation and faith. And when we come, he is willing and he is able and he saves immediately. Thank you, Lord, that many people, maybe most people in this room, have cried out to you in faith, turning from their sin, and you have saved them. But, Lord, there may be someone here today who is not sure of their salvation. They're, they're not convinced that you have cleansed them from not only sin and its power, but sin and its punishment. And their heart today would move them to come to Jesus and cry out, save me. Lord, speak to that soul and draw that person to the Savior. 
And may they experience today a cleansing just as real and immediate and complete as the man who came with leprosy. Lord Jesus, save every person who cries out to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.